scramble. All right, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. We're going to start with our congregational memory verses this morning, uh, words that we've been trying to learn together and download into the old uh, gray matter. And so we're going to have our deacons every week come up and read those words for us so we get to hear them in other voices. Sometimes other voices are, are going to make more of an impact than listening to your old preacher all the time. So, Our scripture is from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Second verse is Mark 20, or 12, 28 through 31. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the final one is Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. God, thank you, Brett. So, uh, lots of exciting things happening. We had a conference yesterday up in Kaiser, beautiful orthodoxy, where Jonathan's dad came over from Tennessee and uh, uh, led a conference there. We had 10% of the congregation there, I believe. A good number of us showed up, so that was great. Uh, After services today, I'd like to invite you to be a part of our care ministry meeting. Uh, We're going to do these meetings monthly on a monthly basis, and this is about visitation and hospitality. It's about how we can build relationships with each other and get in each other's lives more and more. If you don't want to sign up to be a regular part of that, you're just curious, come anyway. If you think, I can maybe only do this very once in a while or occasionally, that's okay. Come be a part of this. This really is a work of the church, that we should be building these relationships with each other. Um... We have all of these exciting things happening around, and uh, uh, we have a Sunday night service. Uh, uh, Lonnie's been helping preach for that, and uh, Norm leads that a lot of times, and so praise God for that. We have different things going on Wednesday nights. I've been teaching a series. You're welcome to come show up for that, too. We've been having over 50 people show up on Wednesday nights, so that's good. It's good to take things serious like this. Uh, We have Sequoia Campus Church. They're meeting and doing things. The elders are in discussion right now with a group of Burmese Christians who want to come and have fellowship uh, here at the building on Saturday evenings. So there's all of these fun things taking place. And one thing I wanted to just make you aware of is we do have life groups, and we're wanting to revamp those a little bit. I was uh, meeting Alicia and I, we were having some young couples into our house. That's kind of fizzled with some different circumstances going on. We're going to rework that and revamp that uh, because we need to be meeting this way. So if you're not involved in the Sunday night, if you're not doing the life group at the Thorntons, if you're interested in what you maybe could do for fellowship with a life group, come talk to me and let's start having discussions. Every week I put together... uh, 
questions for life groups that are based on the Sunday morning sermon. And they're pretty easy questions to just go through. And so as far as the burden of leading a group and material that you have to come up with, that's already all on my shoulders. I do all of that anyway. So it's very easy. I put extra copies in the box outside my office door, if you know where that is. Uh, It's one that says minister on it. And uh, you can just go take one of those and use that. Make this whatever you want it. But we need to find ways to be knitting ourselves together in deeper fellowship. And I think the Lord will use that, the Holy Spirit will bless that, and we're going to continue to be a church that grows. So last week we talked about some main points that I wanted you to take away. First was that Jesus, He is with His people when they suffer. He, this whole conversion story that we looked at with Saul, he said, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people or the church? He says, me. Jesus is in solidarity with us. He is intimately tied to what we are doing here in this place. And his care and concern reaches into each one of our lives individually but also collectively as a community. He is with us when we suffer. Second point that I wanted you to remember is that Jesus has a vision for you that's bigger and better than you probably see or can recognize for yourself. Saul was not planning on becoming Paul. He was not planning on becoming the apostle to the whole Gentile people. All of us, almost all of us have Uh, Gentile roots. We're here today because of that mission. Uh, Jesus Christ, I believe, has a vision for each one of our lives, and it's a beautiful vision. And so our task is to submit to that, to learn to embrace that, to have the courage to step out in faith So I invited you to spend some time thinking about what is the kind of person that Jesus is inviting me to be. It's the most most fully human version of yourself. It is the most complete version of yourself. It's the dream God has for your life. In the power of Jesus Christ, those who were your enemy, they can become your brother. There are so many things that separate people in this world political ideologies, uh, disputes. Our humanity just comes out in so many ways that they, they would threaten this kind of thing. But in mutual submission to the cross of Jesus Christ, in claiming Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus tears down those walls that separate us. Paul her Saul was an enemy of the church. But through what Jesus did, God used him in mighty ways for the church to advance. And so Jesus, I would say, he has everything we need to become the man or woman of faith that he's calling you to become. It's sometimes we think, this is just not even possible. How would I become a person like that? I have this dream, of this imagination of what I think I should be in the Lord. And I have fallen on my face with that for decades now. It's just easier not even to try. 
This is just as good as it gets. That's a lie of your enemy. Jesus has everything you need to become fully the person he intends you to be. So then we ended last week with a brief summary statement. Summary statements are things that Luke puts in to kind of tie these different sections of the narrative together. So it's all knit together, but they're more than just tying the text together. So I would like to unpack this a little bit because I just ran right through it to end last week. Uh, These summary statements, they do more than tie the narratives together. They're like these triumphant little choral... um, Choral refrains, little staccatos of this is what God is doing, and they're joyfully declaring God's purposes and moving forward the way He's moving this ragtag group of disciples who are, who are uh, trying to be His church, the way He's moving them forward from victory to victory in Jesus' name. And you look at that in Acts. I just invite you to, if you if you've spent some time in your personal Bible study reading through Acts, you'll notice everything that all the curveballs the world throws at the church to destroy the church. Somehow God uses that redemptively in the power of the Holy Spirit to turn it into a win. The persecution of the apostles, the opposition of the Jewish leadership, shaming the church leaders by throwing them in jail, stoning Stephen. One of the, guys, the Lord takes one of the guys who was there at that stoning and turns him into his vessel for reaching the Gentiles. Even within the body itself, the greed, the lies, the corruption. The managing of a false image of Ananias and Sapphira. The widow's tables, the widows who are a Grecian background, Greek background, being overlooked. Those are threats to the unity of the church. There are attacks coming from outside, there are attacks coming from the inside. The Holy Spirit takes all of those things and He turns them into a victory. That is the power of God at work, and that's a power available for you and I today in this church here in Eugene, Oregon. So this comfort, let me talk about that. This comfort that the Holy Spirit gives, this encouragement, this time of peace, uh, it's something special. The, uh, the church needed these things, and I wanted to just bring your attention to a couple things that I see here in this text. Three things are mentioned when the Holy Spirit encourages the church with peace. When the Holy Spirit is your comforter, when the Holy Spirit is your counselor, these are the things that happen. You get stronger and stronger in the faith. Your purpose your resolve, what you are about, what you're willing to do, all of these things grow when the Holy Spirit is your encourager and your counselor. Numeric growth, new people with new gifts, reinforcements come in. Reinforcements come in. If you're a visitor, just stay seated. 
but I'm going to do something. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but there's enough of you that it won't be too uncomfortable. If you, two years ago, you were not a regular attender of this church, I want you to stand up. Stand up right now. If two years ago you were not a regular attender at this congregation, look at this. It's like half the people in here. The Lord is giving us reinforcements for the work that He's calling us to do. You can be seated. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Look at that. Praise God. Praise God. And then there's fear of the Lord. You know what fear of the Lord is? The scripture. It's not like cowering in the corner, sucking your thumb. It's not like a dog being whipped. The fear of the Lord is awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. This is real. God is alive. Look what He's doing in our midst. Awe and wonder. That's part of the comfort that the Holy Spirit gives to us. The peace and growth the church experiences is something the Holy Spirit gives to a church in the midst of persecution and opposition. So I also would like to make the point that the comfort that they receive from the Holy Spirit, this is not a stagnant church. This is not a fearful church. This is a church that's praying for boldness. This is a church that is being persecuted, that's scattering throughout the world. This isn't a lazy church. This isn't a lukewarm church. This isn't a church that's satisfied with just keeping the doors open and the electric bill, pay, the electric bill paid up. They want more than that. This is the comfort that's provided for a church that's bold and all in for the mission of God. So I don't usually bother you with language issues because my Greek and my Hebrew are not that great. You know, graduate school for me was quite a while back, so I know just enough to be pretty dangerous with it. Uh, but the word used here for this word for comfort or encouragement, uh, it's paraklise, paraklise which is a word that might sound familiar to a few of you, which is why I bring it up. So what you have here is the paraclete, paracleseing his church. Paraclete is the word John uses over and over again to describe the Holy Spirit. Counselor, like legal aid provider, wisdom provider, comforter, encourager. All of these things are what, not just the name of the Holy Spirit, it's what the Holy Spirit does as well. You know, there's all kinds of fruit of the Spirit, but the ones that he mentions here in Acts, just wanted to uh, bring your attention to that. So in John 14, he uses this, these words to describe the Holy Spirit. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to have our hearts be troubled because the Holy Spirit is with us. He teaches us. He, and then it's also an association with peace here. The comfort and peace of the Holy Spirit that He gives to this persecuted church to build them up. It's like uh, all of these gains that are made. Now is the time of consolidation. Now is the time of fortification 
of all of these new churches and Christians' places. This is kind of a time of rest that is given by the Holy Spirit, comfort that's given in order to build them up for what's coming. Because we have looked at how the church has exploded numerically, uh, geographically. They are just going everywhere. And now there's a time of rest and a deep breath. Because as amazing as that is, it's about to get a whole lot crazier and a whole lot bigger. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead the church in a direction that no one was expecting and no one was thinking about. So this comfort also talks about in 2 Corinthians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we could comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comforts overflows. Notice this is a church that has troubles. This is the church that suffers like Jesus suffers. And the comfort of God is there. So much so that it's just overflowing and spilling on to everyone around there is kind of the image that's being used. So again, I would not describe the New Testament churches, these early Christians, as a comfortable church. These were not people living comfortable, complacent lives where their security was there, where their finances were all in order, where they… This is a persecuted church. This is a church that faces very real challenges, and we face very real challenges today as well. But the thing I think that is the crucial thing to notice about this, this church that gets to receive the fullness of the comfort of the Holy Spirit, this is a church that's on fire for the mission of God. So now back to our text. After, sharing, uh, after Luke shares with us the dramatic circumstances of Saul's conversion, now we keep following these ripples out, and we come back. He jumps us back to the stories about Peter. So we've already seen that Peter has been on some mission uh, already. He, you see Samaria on the map there? So uh, Peter and John go to Samaria in connection with Philip's activities, Philip's missionary activities. And now the text talks about a second missionary journey that Peter takes. So you can see northwest of Jerusalem, Lydda, and then you see Joppa by the Mediterranean Sea, and then up to Caesarea. That's going to be the flow of this new missionary journey of Peter. And this is maybe one of the most significant missionary journeys that's ever taken place, because this is the journey where Gentiles get to become a part of the body of Christ. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up, 
All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So what's happening here? What is the significance of this miracle? Well, this is not the first time that the Bible has talked about a long-term paralytic being healed. This is something that Jesus did. Jesus heals paralytics in Matthew 9, Luke 2, uh, or Mark 2, Luke 5, John 5. Every gospel has a story about the healing of a paralytic. So let's look at one of those. We'll look at Matthew's. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up. Take up your mat and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. This is a miracle that establishes Jesus' authority to forgive sins. He gets that authority from God, don't get me wrong. But the miracle attests to that fact, does it not? Because people can't see that in the same way they can see and witness a healing. Now, Peter has authority that's been given to him as well. I believe this healing of the paralytic uh, from uh, Peter, it's a way that the Holy Spirit is showing how he's with Peter because the authority of Peter is about to be questioned. Uh, essentially, the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, establishing the credibility of, and the authority of Peter. Because it's hard to argue with the guy who the Lord just used to do a miracle like that. You know, if you're bent out of shape about something someone said, you know, if you just witnessed them perform a miracle in the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus, it's kind of hard to argue with that, is it not? Can you imagine arguing with that person? Not as easily. So uh, now they move on from the healing of a long-term paralytic, something that Jesus did, to another miracle that Jesus did, which is even greater. What's greater than the healing of a paralytic? How about resurrecting someone from the dead? In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, 
They sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when they arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All of the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So this is a, a, a wonderful disciple, a, a, a woman of rare character in the church whose good works go before her. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. Again, this miraculous resurrection, this is not without precedence. The great prophets of Israel were involved in resurrecting people from the dead. The gospel mentions three different people that Jesus raised from the dead in, in addition to some other resurrections that took place. So let me just show you a few of those. Elijah raised the son of the Zarephath widow from the dead. Elisha, discipled by Elijah, raised the son of the Shuamite woman from the dead, 2 Kings. And then Luke 7, uh, which Luke acts go together. Jesus raises the son of the widow of Nain from the dead. Jesus raised the daughter of uh, Jairus from the dead. In Luke, it talks about as well. And then John talks quite a bit about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And now we have in Luke or in Acts chapter 9, this, this, this lady Dorcas is resurrected. And then later on in Acts, we'll see it again with another apostle uh, who God uses in this way, Eutychus, who uh, I always appreciated because, uh, um, I don't know, he uh, tried his best to stay awake during the sermon, but he didn't quite make it, and uh, God took care of him as well. The power of God at work bringing dead people back to life, in my mind, that would lend a whole lot of credibility to the words of that person that, uh, that is doing such actions that God is using in such amazing ways. So this resurrection, it says, it became known all, all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. In Lydda, with the healing of the paralytic, we are told all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And now with even an even a, a even greater miracle being performed in a larger town, Joppa, again, there is this result of many people turning to the Lord. So what we need to recognize in this text is these are not isolated incidents. These are amazing miracles witnessed by large numbers of people with the result of towns making Jesus Christ their Lord. Whole towns are turning to Jesus with these events. And again, what I think is happening is Jesus is building up the credibility of Peter because Peter is about to follow the Holy Spirit in a direction that most Christians do not want to go, namely the full inclusion of Gentiles to full participation in the kingdom of God. 
Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So just as a little aside to kind of build up for what I'm going to be talking about next week, when Peter makes himself available to God as a missionary, he goes uh, one place and is used by the Lord, then he's called to another place and he's used there, and uh, now he's about to be called to a third place and be used for the Lord. As an interesting side note, though, Peter's staying with a pretty, he's staying in pretty humble hotel accommodations. This is the the motel that's not been cleaned up very well. Uh, it's not even that. It is, uh, it is a tanner's house. Simon was a tanner. Being a tanner and working with dead animal skins was not a very clean profession for someone of Jewish heritage. Uh, sometimes it was more of a necessary evil that needed to be performed in order to get leather and things like that. I don't know if you've ever been around a tannery. I was sometimes in Tanzania. And uh, the skins that are used from dead animals to make leather, that whole process, it's a stinky process. And if you're, the wind catches that wrong, we had some in the neighborhood, and you knew. It was, you know, you had to plug your nose and go. So this is the kind of place where Peter is lodging, and he's hanging out. So I'm proud of Peter for not showing some kind of favoritism, or he's kind of the leader of this this blossoming church movement, but he's a fisherman. And he doesn't lose his ability to be with people who are of humble means. I think that's a beautiful thing. That's just a a side. Well, let me introduce uh, this other character real quick, kind of building up for what's coming this next week. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa to look for Peter. So Peter, let's just kind of help you trace this out a little bit. He goes out from Jerusalem, then he's in Lydda where he, it's a little village where he heals this long-term bedridden paralytic. And then from Lydda, he goes out to the coast of Joppa. It's a bigger town with a bigger miracle, and he raises someone from the dead. And now he's called to a major metropolitan area. This was a hub for the Roman Empire, Caesarea. And he's called to an even bigger miracle, I believe. Uh, 
one more aside, let me say from this. Think about who Cornelius is. He's not a Jew. He's not a Christian. He's someone outside. He's an outsider. Does God listen to the prayers of people who are not Christians? You bet he does. And what God does is a whole lot bigger than what takes place in these walls, in this auditorium. People who don't even know him as Lord. God is there and he's working. Planting seeds, inviting into a relationship in the humble, humble circumstances of our lives. God is there. It is our job as a church to be attentive to the Lord's leading and guiding because he's going to bring those people in our doors. Some of, the, some of those people were standing up this morning. There's going to be more. He's going to hear those prayers. What, what brings people here? Oh, it's, it's probably good for the kids. It's, I'm not happy with this in my life. I know I need to be doing better. I, I, I don't know. It could be a million different things. And sometimes it's very fragile. Just a little song in the heart. A little hunger and a desire for something more. Maybe I need to check out this Jesus thing again. Maybe there's more there than I thought at first. It's maybe a hunger for love in a world that gives cheap love. It's a longing for a loneliness to be filled. The Holy Spirit works in those fragile grounds there pull and to draw and to woo. And as a church, we need to be ready to embrace everyone that the Lord gives us. That's where the Holy Spirit leads, and that's His desire. He doesn't care about all of the messes that we have. He doesn't care about all of the messes that people have in their lives. He cares in the sense that He invites you here and it's not to say everything you do is okay and put his rubber stamp on sinful lives. It's to invite you into something greater and something more, the redemption that he offers through his own blood. He makes a way for that to happen. He loves you enough that he will not leave you the same. He invites you into something more. And that's what's going on in this whole narrative here with the story of an outsider a Roman centurion. Not only is he an outsider because he's a Gentile, he's an outsider because this is a military man of the, of the nation that has their boot on the throat of Israel. A hated and despised people. I 
So some main points I want, to take, want you to take away from our lesson this morning. First, if you want to experience the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the comfort that He alone can provide, this is a divine kind of comfort that shouldn't be there based on circumstances. You want to know this comfort? Get involved in God's mission. Share your faith. Disciple your friends. Disciple your children. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just say, well, they know where I stand. You get involved in God's mission, you will know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it's an amazing kind of comfort that He offers. As you follow the leading and activity of the Holy Spirit, He will affirm you and give you the credibility and authority you need to accomplish the tasks that He assigns you. Just like he is building up the credibility of Peter through these, he's doing these amazing miracles through him. Because he's about to lead in even more unexpected and amazing directions. Whatever the Holy Spirit gives you, he's going to, as a task to be accomplished, he's going to help you get the, everything you need for that task to be accomplished. And, and this isn't what, this isn't... Uh, what do you call it? This isn't a health and wealth gospel. I don't mean to be mean, but frankly, what most of us, we try to attain as Americans, the level of comfort and security we try to get by our own hand, which builds our greed, God is not interested in that. He's interested in a relationship with everyone that He has created in His image. And if you engage in the mission of God, He's going to give you everything you need to accomplish that. Everything you need. And number three, it is the Spirit who leads the church, not the other way around. If we are a Spirit-filled church, He's going to, he's going to stretch us. He's going to call us places that are not always comfortable, and not always what we are expecting. It is, it is for us to listen and discern and be obedient. Holy Spirit wants to do a whole lot more than a few parlor tricks and a few Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost goosebumps. He wants more for this group of people. He is going to lead us on mission. Are we going to have a heart that's obedient and a heart that trusts? So, Rob, you can come on forward. I don't know how you hear these words this morning. If something that I've said resonates, we want you to come forward. You can share that with me, and uh, we want to pray for you. So prayer needs uh, to put the Lord on in baptism. Uh, we want to serve you in that way. We still offer an invitation. Every Sunday I offer an invitation here because uh, we want with every opportunity we're given to invite you into the kind of life that God desires for you. And we're invited as a church to be a whole different kind of church than what's typical around. And God will take us where He needs us to go. So you have that opportunity as we stand and sing together.